0: Uh, talking about pneumocystis gyrovesi pneumonia is not anymore called pneumocystis cranii, but I will explain to you really why the name was changed. Uh, This is the Czech parasitologist Otto Gerovesi who was the first one who described the entity very carefully. And I, I think it was in the 1950s or 1960s, so don't think that he's alive and they have given the name to somebody who's, who's basically uh, working on, the, on this macroorganism. And on this slide, uh, this is the cysts of the nemocystosis. Uh, so this is the silver stain. So the one that we use very frequently to identify the germ is the cyst. So during acute infection, the ratio of the tropozoides uh, to the cyst uh, is nine to one. But the staining of the trophozoite is different from the staining of the, of the cyst. So we use this silver staining, so we see the cyst uh, immediately, and this is the mode of the diagnosis in most of the medical centers. So I will go uh, very briefly to to describe to you the history and then molecular biology of the uh, fungus, life cycle of fungus, and then I will briefly touch on the uh, pathogenesis, and then I will go over diagnosis and differential diagnosis and finally I will touch on treatment and prophylaxis. And you need only to remember that this is the most common opportunistic impression among the people with HIV in the United States and Western countries. In Africa, it is probably number second after tuberculosis. Having said that, there are a couple of studies from Lago when they looked carefully into the group of the people who had interstitial in the and they looked very, very vigorously for pneumocystosis, and pneumocystosis was very common. In the other hand, for many years, we only diagnosed the pneumocystosis in Africa. Because obviously, diagnosis of TB is very easy, or much easier than most uh, For diagnosis of TB, they don't need any a bronchial washing or any sort of the invasive testing, and possibly never forget that bronchoscopy here is a sort of the uh, infrequently you may see somebody to be <coughs> and. The problem with pneumocystosis is the fact that there are not very many options for treatment. And you need to remember from now that the medication of choice, medication of choice, is factoring. Nothing is uh, close to the factoring, unfortunately. Any other medication is more toxic or is less effective against pneumocystosis. And this is the reason that we try in the United States to keep the vaccine for time that then we need to use it. You are not throwing vaccines to the patient's and port because we know the patient will become, you know, allergic to vaccine. To but unfortunately, in this part of the world, we will see many of the people who are on vaccine, and they may come down with hypersensitivity and then you have to get to the second medication of choice. And also you remember that pneumocystosis is not only a disease of the AIDS population, but we knew about this disease almost now for more than 100 years, but particularly uh, many of the people in concentration camps, they died of the pneumocystosis from uh, malnutrition, severe immunodeficiency, uh, they came down this entity. But I will give you uh, in brief the, uh, the history. It was 1908 that organism was discovered in human lungs by Chagas. And you remember the Chagas disease, basically. So name it pneumochistis. So this is the name that Chagas gave to actually uh, pneumocystis. So pneumochistis. Then in 1912, a professor and Madame Delon identified the organism in Parisian sewer rats uh, without the rats being in sick any sort of the telepronosomal infection. So they concluded, in matter of fact, that this is a very distinct microorganism, and this is not a telepronosomal. Organism then was called nemosystis crinium, and crinium, or trinine was the Chagas mm. So this was the fact that the, the organism was called the... Uh, the pneumocystis uh, attainment. Then in 1920s, 1930s, because of the economy and political uncertainty in most of the Europe, there was mass migration and then overcrowding, poverty, malnutrition. There was outbreak of a very specific pneumonia those days and they call it foaming interstitial pneumonitis or FIP home, it was home. And then it was associated with very high mortality and then von der Meer described it in 1942 and 1950s because economy improved and this disease also became very infrequent. And this is 1952, it is the Otto Jouvek and already I told you that was a Czech paros ecologists because some of my friends they were thinking he's it Italian, and it he's not Italian, he it is Czech, and identifies democis as the cause of the foamy interstitial pneumonitis. That's the reason <coughs> when finally we understood recently that each species has very a specific pneumocystosis. Then we gave the human nemostysosis name of the cubers. But I will go over that uh, uh, soon. In the nineteen fifties, outrage of the PCP happened in orphanages and very well nourished new in Shiraz in Iran. And then Dutz, who was one of the German pathologists, I remember he was the head of the Pathology department in my school, in Shiraz, he described the foamy interstitial pneumonitis in more nutrition newborns. He brought again the, the disease to the surface in 1960s and 1970s. Much of the literature in 1960s and 1970s comes from Dr. Dutz and his wife, Dr. Kovic. Both of them, gave a journal, Amazingly, they divorced when they were both 75 or 76 70, 70, years old. So they lived for 40, 45 years, and then they divorced. And then, uh, and then, obviously, in the 60s, we had the chemotherapy, and then we learned about the HID, oh sorry, we learn about the PCP in people who were on chemotherapy agents particularly when they were on taking those of hypercellaries, then they would come with flare of the sources And then, finally, it was reclassified as a fungus uh, in 1988. 1981, uh, it was first described in uh, homosexual men in the United States and, you know, you remember the history really. How in a matter of fact the outbreak was discovered because medication those days we were thinking pentamining as medication of choice. And pentamidine was only available to CDC. So if you want to treat somebody for pneumostosis, you have to get the pentamining from CDC. And suddenly CDC received in over two, three months, many, many requests for the So you thought my goodness, what's going on? You know, we were using pentameter once upon a time. Now, over two or three months from New York and also from San Francisco, we are requested many of the doses of the the, uh, pentameter. And that was the reason they tried to investigate the epidemic, and then they learned that epidemic, matter of fact, is the new epidemic among the homosexual men. Okay. And then, obviously, uh, it was defined. As AIDS defining situation. So this is what do you see? Somebody can describe what you see. It looks like the honeycomb, and this is really what it was described previously as foam, foaming interstitial pneumonitis. This is foam, and this is the immuno study and the test that we frequently now do at PA or any other medical centers. This is the monoclonal antibody against the antigen of the pneumocystis and it both pick up the cyst and also pick up the trophozoite uh, form of the microorganism. And what you see as a source of really large uh, spots those are the place of the uh, nest of the fungus and what you see as the light basically this is the antigens of the of the fungus that we define or we identify by the fluorescent uh, uh, color and fluorescent uh, <coughs> study unfortunately on the most we cannot really culture this and study of the organism uh, totally depends on molecular, biological, antigenic, and serological techniques. And uh, we know that it is cardiotipic, uh, and the genetic analysis obviously puts this one uh, into different species. Uh, so if this is a rat, it's going to come down with a specific pneumocystis. If this is a rabbit, the rabbit has its own pneumocystis. So what We used to find Nemocystis crania is very specific for the rats. So, rat species is the Nemocystis crania, and rat species cannot be transmitted to the human. So, human to human transmission is happening, A rat to rat transmission is happening, but there is no way for instance that we can transmit mouse species to the human, so Nemocystis is very species specific, and then uh, so it is not a zoonosis so this is human to human transmission, and we don't know still really how it transmits itself to the human we think it is aerosolized like tuberculosis but we do not see very much of the cluster, for instance, in the hospital. And that's the reason we do not put the people with pneumocystosis, for instance, in the isolation, respiratory isolation. But there was one article published in Young England Journal of Medicine, maybe now about seven or eight years ago. There was mini many of pneumocystosis in five patients who were in intensive care unit they were suffering from COPD, they were intubated, and they were on cortical cells. And all of the species' fingerprints were absolutely the same. So it was cluster of the pneumocystosis in one of the intensive treatment that shed more light on the pathogenesis and also infectiousness of the pneumocystosis. Okay. Human pneumocystosis is different from other host-derived pneumocystosis and uh, diversity between isolates is significant if the isolates are recovered from different species of the mammals. Diversity among isolates of the human-derived pneumocystosis is much, much less. So there is, there is sort of, as I said again, species-specific uh, forms. Diversity is so great that organisms derived from different hosts are regarded as different species. So if you look at the heterogeneity of the genetics of this fungi, they are very, very different. And the new name for the mucisosis from human, forms of the human, obviously now is the mucisus <coughs> named after Otto and gerobersi So pneumocystis you know, now used only and only for the rat pneumocytosis and human infection. As still we call it pneumocystis pneumonia or PCP, but based on basically the name pneumo and then cystis. So this is a PC and then P. So we didn't change PCP to PJP because it was very hard to be changed. So as still we call it PCP but it's not pneumocystis cranii it's pneumocystis pneumonia so that stands for the pneumocystis pneumonia so that's the actual name of the PCP so it is a fungus and there is seasonal distribution because sometimes you one specific season many of the cases of the pneumocystosis and, and as you can see it has some Sort of the factors that only you see in fungi. The fungi have some factors that would let the fungus to elongate and and cause mycelium. It is very specific for the fungi, and this group of the germs, they have this specific elongation of factors. And obviously, because they don't have esterol in the cell wall, Apotheosin B is not effective. So, because many of the people would say, if this is a fungus, why apotheosin B is not effective? It's one of those fungus that doesn't have estrogen. And apotheosin B, as you remember, the part in B, of the estrogen of the cell membrane of the fungi. But, sorterines is a part of this fungus. And all of the fungi. They have to be sorted The life cycle of this fungus is still going on because, as I said, unfortunately, we cannot really culture this microorganism. Things which is pretty you know, When I was in University of Chicago, one thing that I was doing, I was doing a lot of the experimentation on those diseases. If you want to make a rabbit coming down with pneumocystosis, the only thing that you do, you put the rabbit in a cage and give rabbit corticoster. No exposure to pneumocystosis is necessary. Just to put the rabbit in a cage and then just feed rabbit with corticoster. Then the rabbit is coming down with the foaming interstitial pneumonitis or TCP. This fungus is amazingly specific for the lung. It doesn't have any other sort of the attachment to any other cell members. So it just sticks to the alveolar cells. So why the rabbit, if you put the rabbit in the, in the, in the cage, is coming down with the cystosis, we don't know. For many years we were thinking that this is colonization of the rabbit in the other hand, the rabbit has pneumocystis, but then if we put the rabbit on corticocere, we make the rabbit compromised, and then the pneumocystosis is going to reactivate itself. So a hypothesis like tuberculosis, a hypothesis like toxin. In human beings, recently, with a lot of the genetic fingerprinting, we learned that the pneumatopitheus is completely wrong. So, the human being, by the age of or three, almost all of us, be pseudo a for pneumocystosis. In the other hand, by the age of three, all of us, we have been exposed to pneumocystosis. But when we come down to pneumocystosis, we are coming down with a new fungus. And if somebody relapses, that's a new fungus. I think the patient relapses for the third time, this is the new fungus. So every single time is exposure to a new fungus. Whether this fungus come from another human, or in addition to the human, there is a niche in the nature that is going to erosalize the fungus. We don't know. We know that human to human transmission occurs, and we know that environment gives us also pneumocystosis, <coughs> but we are not sure, where in pneumocystosis this fungus lives in the nature. This is the life cycle, so this is already a hypothesis, this is based on New Geological Medicine article, if some of you really want to learn a little about basic science of the pneumocystosis, there was one publication in New Grand Medicine I think in 2004, and this is from group. Very, very great on, on this fungus, and this is what we are hypothesizing. There are two cycles, as you can see, for the fungus. One cycle occurs in the environment, which is the sexual, and one is the human, which is asexual. In sexual form, you will start with the haploid, so you have to, be to conjugate two haploids, and then you get the diploids. And then diploid is going to go through three phases of maturity to give you the cyst. You can see early cyst, and then finally is going to be mature cyst. And in each of these mature cysts, you can see two, four, or eight of the nuclei. And then obviously at the end X, uh, uh, oh sorry X. Cyst, uh, cyst, uh, cystment ex-cystment is going to occur in the other hand the cyst is going to rupture and now you have again the hoplit form of the microorganism. So this is the in environment based all on microorganism But in human we believe it is the asexual and the only thing that you form that you see is basically is the trophic form or troposoid form or trophic form. As you can see, is everything is based on S sexual So it's the binary feature and binary uh, <coughs> multiplication. This is a very informative slide. So if you look at the bottom three panels, A, B, and C, to your right is the alveolar cell. So this is the alveolar cell. The bigger one is alveolar cell. The small one at the corner that we see significant number of the dot granules inside it, this is the mnemocystis. You will see the membrane to the membrane, they come very close. So this is the electron microscopy, this is what we know. So it comes, and then the membranes, you are going to be very sticking to each other. So the attachment is going to work the fungus would never invade the albinoid so it stays, sticks to the albinoid would never get into the interstitial and just stays there and then on the second panel, or B panel you can see two of these, they are coming together and you are fusing to each other so assume this is the haploid. so now two of the haploid, you are going to basically fuse together and then the final one is the cyst. How from haploid to diploid to the cyst transformation comes about, we have no idea. But we know that this is going to occur. So, this <laughs> is um, then you can see the same thing you will see on the upper part, but this is proposed, the most cystic life cycle. Only thing that we need to remember, I think from this slide, that the membrane of the narcissus is going to come very close to the membrane of the alveolar cell. But invasion is not a part of this fungus. So fungus stays there. And what will happen is going to be cytokine release, and then you have significant inflammation in the interstitial. Mm-hmm. So the fungus uh, sticks to the alveolar, and inflammation is going to be massive in interstitial. So then what's what will happen then? Obviously, in, if you know the pathophysiology, then you're making barriers between the alveoli and the vessels. So the capillary and alveoli, they gradually become more distant. So oxygenation is not going to occur very rapidly and very efficiently. So we call it alveolo-capillary blockade at the level of the alveoli, you have the fungus and then between the alveoli and the endothelial cells of the capillary you have massive inflammation and that's the reason corticosteroids would be very beneficial in treatment of immunocystosis when the patient is very hypoxemic because corticosteroids is going to basically deal with the inflammation and bacteria, etc is going to deal with the fungus. So you know the fungus is in the alveolar, so you attack the fungus with anti medication, and you know that there is significant inflammation, and you attack that inflammation with cortical cells. So, does not invade the tissue, the unique in large tissue very infrequently you may see the fungus I have seen. I have seen complications in my life that the fungus was in the string, in the bone marrow, in the lung, mm-hmm. and uh, sentence. Very, very, you know, you could see a few cases very really indeed in the, in the <coughs> I have seen probably more than two or three cases during the last three, really, you know, from 1984, to 1983. I have seen probably three cases of disseminator. Uh, Culture, mm. As I said, caution is impossible. Caution is impossible. The patient died and then autopsy showed. Before the patient died, I remember one of the cases had multiple lesions in the spleen. And I was thinking this is mycobacterium avium cellular And the patient died and then autopsy showed the, all of the cysts and in the spleen, in the kidney, in the bone marrow. And then there was one article in Annals of Internal Medicine about an extra manifestation of the pneumocystosis. I think there was one case of the thyroid pneumocystosis, there were three cases of the external peripheral <coughs> ear pneumocystosis, there was that poly on the external ear, and there was one or two cases of disseminator pneumocystosis. Very unusual. And then, then causes the host inflammatory response. Okay. And this is for the slide, somebody wants to read out the slide for me, maybe you can request Natalie to do that. Just read from just, this the uh-huh. is the alveoli. Inflammation. Very simple inflammation? Those dots that we see which are dark, these are the simplest things. Eh? So these are the <coughs> pumps, these are the cysts. Where are the cysts? Inside the alveoli, because this is the alveoli. You can see there is no cyst or there is no trace of the parasite in the tissue of the lung. It is everything is concentrated itself in the ovula. So there is no invasion of the fungus to the interstitial. Uh, yes, no yeah, the... Yeah, these are the... You are not looking for the inflammation because this is the silver stain. So the only thing that you see is the cyst and all of those thickness. Basically, it's the inflammatory cells, but we do not see them um, on, on this staining. Okay. So, already I showed you, chemical infection all the time is by new infection. Genotype correlates a place of the residence and not place of birth. So, this is the new. So, because if, as I told you already, no, by age of two or three, all of us were still converted. If this was relapsing mm. then it should match with the species of the earth place. But it matches with the species that you recover from your residence. Clustering of PCP by zip code is possible. And then genotype in repeat episode of PCP is different, so each episode is a new PCP. And the in Earth or a sports trap, what happen, but well, I told you that we don't know what is the niche of this fungus in the environment. And the case cluster of the PCP, I told you, like in the emergence of oh, the intensive surgery of the New York may happen, person to person transmission definitely would occur. Healthcare providers may transmit the the, uh, the fungus to patient and also mother to child transmission also has been reported. Okay? So, patient, this is also another hypothesis that patients who have minor immunosuppression, they're going to be colonized. And then, after colonization, the fungus is going to basically (coughs) invade. This is not reactivation. So, you're exposed to the fungus right now, but because you're immunocompetent, the fungus cannot really colonize you. But when you become immunosuppressed to some extent, then you will be colonized, and then when you (coughs) first become immunocompromised, then the fungus is going to to cause the uh, disease. Who gets pneumocystosis? Uh, people with pneumocystosis of less than 250, even 300. And 10% of the people with pneumocystosis, the cell is more than 200. So, 90% of the people with pneumocystosis, the PCP, of the cell is less than 200. Particularly pay attention to pregnant women with the HIV. Even when the cell is 350, the pregnant woman may also pay attention to people who have splenectomy. They also may come down with pneumocystosis, but the CD4 cell is 300 or more. But then you can see the, the max study showed third of the patients with PCP occurred with a CD4 cell of more than 250 cells. But over all 10% of the people with pneumocystosis, the CD4 cell is more than 250. So don't think that cystosis would not occur in somebody who has CD4 cell up to 350. So why can't we pick up 200 as the value bar for the operating problem? One not 200? Why not 300? Okay. It's cost-benefit, but most so it's the harm that we get from the vaccine. That was the reason that we put the Again, the fever, and then obviously, the patient may have very <coughs> candida. The patient may have weight loss. These are the, the basically the indicators for the immunosusceptibility. If somebody has shortness of you look for this sort of the comorbidity, and if the patient has this sort of comorbidity, then the chance of immunosusceptibility is going to be very high. Again. Okay, so what is this? Um, the the, uh, the fungus. Which one is fungus? The and one in the corner. Yes. So A just is on top of the uh, trophozoite or form Of the cancer. Is the haploid or diploid in this stage? Um, Haplone. It is haploid. And what is the next cell? Which is basically, you can see those all of those foots or boots. Uh, looks like macrophage, but this is the alveolar cell line. Mm-hmm. So this is alveolar cell line and shows you membrane to membrane. So attachment of the fungus uh, to the type 1 on the <coughs> cell type. Okay. Clinical presentation is fever, shortness of breath, cough, particularly non-productive cough, and also uh, the patient is hypoxic. So these are the major clinical presentation of the, of the fungus. Somebody can um, Read the X-ray. Oh, I really love the X-rays. Oh, somebody loves the X-rays Alice. Alice. Alice, okay. Your turn now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. All right. Um, so, generally in the lower lobes, some. I don't know what word you use. Um, uh-huh. Like fluffy. Uh-huh. Just, uh okay. yeah. mm, I mean, it's not infiltrate, I guess, but yes. it's, but it's not in any particular. It's not like nodules. It's not like yeah. a strong yeah. interstitial. It's just That's sort okay. of a loose. Uh, yes.
1: So it's. Fluffiness. The,
0: okay, <laughs> is in in mid zone, <laughs> up zone, or the lower zone. It's in the lower zone, mostly. Okay. You're right. This is very class. So no, this is mainly lower zone. End. Okay, but what would you? What word should you decide to I, I think this is the alveolar infestation pattern. It looks like part reported. Yeah. Something like that. But is maybe this shows you it is in the lower <coughs> zones. And the summit. Uh, how do you read the yes. Um so you're about uh, you're at the carina yes. uh, on lung windows um, and there is a uh, I mean this if, if this was real in front of me I, m- I might even say those are like uh, um, heterogeneous non-confluent ground glass classifications right ground, ground glass ground glass Yes, patchy ground glass on the CPS. <coughs> okay. And somebody reads the histopathology. Maybe i the request Audrey. Okay. It looks like it's full of... Neutrophils and I guess macrophages. So there are those dark blues. They are in transition. Mm. These are the inflammatory. Cells. Mm. And what is inside the alveolar? You can this see that. The orgula. Uh-huh. Um, the PCP. Uh, well, yeah. but, okay, but this is not a stain for the cyst. So this is the H E stain. Right. So what you can see, this is the foam or hyaline type of the material inside the alveoli. So, you can see the whole alveoli is packed with some sort of the, uh, you know, of uh, highly type of the substance material. But if you do similar stem, then you could see the seeds And if you do a specific test for the, for the trozoite form, then you will see it is loaded with the trozoite. But you do only H and if what you see. On H&E, you see the inflammatory cells. instead In are saying you see the cyst, but you don't see the inflammatory cells. Yes, answer. Okay. So now, symptoms: this cough, which is not productive increasing shortness of breath, and fever and sweats, and nothing really <coughs> as specific. And then. It looks like, you know, TB, it looks like the bacterial infection, and uh, it could be another fungal infection, it could be LIP, which is very frequent in this group. So currently, there is nothing really very suggestive of the immune sources. But I will give you a couple of really examples that I have seen in my life that would be very uh, illuminating. I was, almost many years ago, I was very basic in very diabetic. And I had a friend was he was homosexual. And we were going to Lichfield and almost from my place to Leitchfield was, I would say, probably 35 miles. It was very fast by sickness. And then I, I noticed that for the first time in my life, he's behind me. Because all the time he was two miles ahead of me man has to really stop again and again for me to just catch with them. And I am amazed. And he said that's, that's true. You know, recently I went to uh, you know, uh, I think another state for, for some sort of race and he amazed that he couldn't really uh, do the race. At the middle of the race he had to really stop. And then I suspect when it's loses and said, being minded go and do you know, soft tests and all of those things, and unfortunately, it was evident that he suffering from HIV and AIDS and nosocomiosis. He was suffering from progressive shortness of breath for months before the diagnosis was made. That's the classic nosocomiosis in people with HIV. Yes. What is LAC? This is the. Lymphoid interstitial which is very common in people with, with AIDS, and particularly if with they have your children. Looks like in cystosis, but any other things, you do, do see this, this disease here. But those of you who go to the pediatric world, you see very often in kids with the, with, uh, with the tract. But has has a few other things which are very classic for the LLP, lymphocytic interstitial neuritis. I have seen even in the United States a couple really of cases occurring in adults with NIV. Horotitis, the particle speak, then it's intrastitial neuritis and clone. And then you put them on corticosteroids, overnight they do very fine. So it's very so responsive to corticosteroids. It's very common in children who survive a tribe beyond age four or five. So as I said again, duration of the symptoms could be several weeks, usually two to three weeks, and there is also a subset of the people with HIV that presentation of hemostosis is really acute. So I think I read one time you know that almost twenty five percent of the people with hemostystosis in AIDS population presentation is less than seven days. So it looks like the bacterial growth pneumonia but over 20 minutes, the duration is more than 10 to uh, 14 days. There is nothing to be on physical signs, very characteristic (coughs) of hypnosis, unfortunately. Everything looks like another form of interstitial lung disease, and I think And then a typical features is going to be the consolidation and plural effusion. Okay, what do you think? OHL is oral peril lecoplacia. Mm-hmm. So these are the signs of the immunodeficiency. Mm-hmm. So here because we don't have the CD4 cell many often, in let us say you have C D4 cell in your hand and you will say, Okay, this is it. But here we are looking for some sort of eternal. Of the immunodeficiency. Many often they have kaputosarcoma, many often then they have the orchia. So, uh, pleural fusion may happen less than 1 or 2% of the cases, consolidation may happen less than 1 or 2% of the cases, and if you have atypical forms, you have to exclude other uh, pathogens. And then, uh, then obviously you check for the oxygenation and oxygenation could be perfectly normal in the early stage and could be also substantially low. And then exercise test is extremely helpful if the chest x-ray is normal. So if your patient shortens of breath and then you look at the chest x-ray and the chest x-ray is perfectly normal, then do the exercise test. Then let the patient walk and then look for the oxygenation. If the patient desaturates with normal chest x-ray, that is very suggestive of the most resources. But if the patient's chest x-ray is abnormal, any sort of pneumonia would give you desaturation. Because I have seen some of the people, you know, in my resident, for instance, they have a patient with pulmonary pneumonia, so it is diffused interstitial pneumonitis, and they think this is PCP. If you watch that person, if desaturation occurs this is specific any pulmonary pathology will give you will give you desaturation. Desaturation is indicative of pneumocystosis if the chest X-ray is normal. And why they desaturate? Maybe uh, any indicator why actually why? why desaturation is so common in people. No, so, because of the exercise, requirement oxygen increases. Yes to yes, consume oxygen quickly, the and, and then, then diffusion remains the same in the alveolar. Okay, and then you have the alveolar capillary blocking. So the oxygen cannot really move very fast <coughs> to the alveolar. I learned by just experiencing I would say, that if you ask your patient, take a deep breath. He can't do that, it's the most associated for So, many of the people who you know, in found they can take a deep breath. But this group of the people can't, because of the, as I said again, because the thickness of the ovulo and capillary is so much, they cannot take a deep breath. And also, I read it you know, very frequently in literature as also another good task. Ask your patient to take a deep breath, the patient cannot take a deep breath before getting to the deep breath the patient starts coughing, for instance, that is very suggestive of the pneumocystosis. Even, uh, I, I saw one paper that said this is the autognomony, mm-hmm. but I do not think that this is anything that you know medicine is you know, but, okay. Wait, I don't understand, if it's thicker, <laughs> why wouldn't you be able, to, you just can't open the... Yes, you can't do it, do Transition metal steel. So uh, then, chest X-ray. There are typical uh, chest X-ray that already you saw one of the chest X-ray, which is mainly on the lower dose. Ten percent of the people become cystosis. The chest X-ray is perfectly normal. And then, bats' wing infiltrate, uh, which looks like uh, the congestive failure, uh, has been described as more you know typical for. Hormonal cystosis, and then gradually unfortunately, the patient will come down with a white, long, or ARPS picture as the disease uh, progresses. What happened? I think... Uh, That's right. Okay. <coughs> uh, that was amazing, so... Okay. <laughs> so... So, adenopathy would be extremely unusual. Let's see, this one. This one, I can do, I can do that, yeah? No, this one. Which one? Okay. Yeah, okay, so a few chest x-rays. Uh-huh. This is typical or atypical for the mosasa. Everything is typical except there is a nodule. But it may happen. So don't think nodularity is against pneumocystosis. What about this one? It's very heterogeneous. You can see it is asymmetrical. You will see here, for instance, in the left side is more on the mid-zone and in the right side is more diffuse. It may happen. So you saw this, the CT scan. You remember it was patchy infiltration. It was not really diffuse. But if you leave the patient alone, untreated, then obviously it becomes very uh, diffuse. And this is the ARDS picture. This is the white lung. So it, 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 it goes on from patchy infiltrate to completely confluent and uh, diffuse. ARDS type of the of the picture. It could also be just normal, right? i like A lot of the time it could just be normal. So that's be 10%. Test test As I said again, chest x could be perfectly normal 10%. in 10% of the. Anything here normal or abnormal or typical or atypical? I think it's, it means atypical. Yes. There's that solid. This one. Okay. You're right. So, nodules, nodules, and nodules. So, multiple nodules. So, it's not very uncommon in patients with pneumocystosis. Okay? This one is typical or atypical. This is the bat wing. So, this is kind of really typical, likely, congestive heart failure our presentation. So, uh, why is likely, congestive heart failure? Because in consciousness of failure, you have the alveoli filled with fluid. In the mostystosis, you have the alveoli filled with that hyaline substance. So it looks very, very closely uh, to consciousness of our failure. Typical? Or atypical? Typical? <laughs> typical. <laughs> typical. Yeah, this is, this is very typical. This is very typical. You may not see frequently, but when you see it, it's very suggestive. What is that? What do you see? A big Pneumatosis. cyst. Pneumato cyst. Okay, it looks like abscess, but it's not abscess. Look at the wall. The you know, wall is very thin, but this is very classic. <coughs> very classic.
1: And that's the,
0: actually one cyst. It's it could be even multiple cysts. It would, could be multiple cysts. But this is a big one. Just um, Okay, what do you think you? Cover. Cover is expert on this entity. Hot. It is hard, yeah, at the center. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you went through this yourself. Where is the motor? Yeah. And then also look at the bottom, the ring. You can see this is the line, this one, this one, this one, this one. So this is the pneumomediastinum, and then this is the pneumothorax. Pneumomediastinum, the air in the mediastinum, and also pneumothorax. So that cyst raptures, and when it raptures, then you are going to get the pneumothorax. What has happened? Okay, okay. This, as you can see, multiple cysts. Look, multiple. Now, this is great, CAT scan because shows you how these cysts are made. Anybody can tell me how these cysts are made? Look, there are steps. This is nodule. Then a small cavity at the middle of the nodule. You can see. And then this nodule evolves into the cyst. And then the cyst is going to expand. So those are nodules that cavitate, and then expansion is going to occur. I will show you a picture, you know, autopsy picture. And then you can see this one. This is the CAT scan, and then you can see Different stages. We can see a small nodule, big nodule, nodules with cavitation, and then cyst. And this is the autopsy. Okay. Cover. Okay. <laughs>
1: Oh, i you uh, his
0: disease was uh, missed. We heard you heard it. Uh, yeah. You heard yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever copy those x-rays? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> we made the agonosis of broken pneumonia. <laughs> 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 Covered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I will never forget that night that I had to drove to P- Poughkeepsie, and and then we bring it in back in moment that night. The first time? Uh-huh. So no Motora is covered, okay? Yeah. Okay, what is this one? Uh-huh. This is the white long, this is the ground glass. Okay, so and then this one again, you will see it could be all upper lobes. And this is the one that I have seen very frequently at Mulago. They say, this is Tibian, this is Tibian, this is Tibian. But there is something that would suggest this is not to a If you look at the cavities, they are so thin-walled cavities. Upper lobe, if you see cavities with destruction of the pleural, Fibrosis, retraction, that's TB. If you see upper lobe, cysts, that's pneumocystosis, pneumocystosis, cysts, big cysts, pneumatocysts. Okay, and this is the congestive part failure type of the presentation. So, And then if you are in the United States, for instance, and you suspect pneumocystosis, many often really don't need the diagnosis. Many often you can send the patient home from clinic, put the patient on vaccine if the patient is really doing okay. But in this part of the world, when TB or Crypto would be more common, unfortunately, you need to make diagnosis uh, immediately. It wouldn't happen, but, but you need to do that. Okay? So empirical treatment in places that pneumostosis is number one cause of interstitial pneumonia is, is, is okay. So and does what is this shows? So this <laughs> Just as i checking who is sleepy fried and who's <laughs> <he's> not. <laughs> <laughs> he discovered my trick, you know. <laughs> okay, so these are the two haploids. Okay, they are here, they are together. Okay. And then, Diagnosis, you need to go by induced sputum, or you go by BAL, and I told you we can't really culture it. I know that many often you people check LDH, but LDH has no diagnostic value in pneumocystosis. I know that all of us, you know, at Yale who say, jump on the LDH, if the LDH is high, it's going to be pneumocystosis. Any damage to the lung, it doesn't matter, from pneumonia of any kind, is going to release the LDH. LDH only means severity of the disease. If this is TB, it would give you a very high level of the LDH. If it is pneumococcus, it's going to give you a very high level of the LDH. Uh, From the destruction of the lung tissue. LDH, you know, you have five subtypes of the LDH. But this is the LDH that comes from the lung tissue. Destruction of the lung tissue. Pulmonary infarction gets very high level of the LDH, you know, basically, classically. Uh, and then, um, as I said again, diagnosis most often, if this is mild, is going to be empirical. So you would say this is physically, provide advice, and you would treat. You may go for induced sputum, or you may go for bronchoalveolar lavage, or go by open lung and biopsy, and also we have PCR for uh, this uh, entity. Uh, if you go by induced sputum. At Yale, I have not seen any kind, any positive induced aspiromtermia. But if you go to the literature, particularly the literature that comes from the San Francisco, uh, the sensitivity of the test is about 75%. But uh, do you know how do you induce the aspirom? Uh, uh it's very torturous to the patient. The patient hates it. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, to put the pressure, and then this is saline, and then you try to, to press, you know, compress the saline, and then push it into the lung, mm-hmm. and then the patient has cough, and then brings you some sample of sputum. Wow. And the patient may have nausea, vomiting during the a procedure, and many of the patients rather go through bar because they get sedation, they get sedation and then you do bronchoscopy, and then get the BAL. So, uh, but sensitivity is at best is less than 50% of the time. Then is the BAL and it's, it's great, you know, you go going, you get the fluid out, you don't need to have any biopsy because the, the fungus leaves in the alveoli. It doesn't go to the tissue. So get into the alveoli, get the fluid and then everything is set. So this is the slide, any of you Okay, so uh, this is the every single method that we use. The first one is the silver stain. Okay? So it's the the gomery silver methanamine stain. The second one is the gimso or drightest stain, so you don't see the cyst, but you may say the trophozoide and you may say also the that you know hyaline type of the of the substance. And then the, the third one, or the C1, is uh, a stain that makes the, uh, the fungus sort of really white, uh, a flower uh, white, and then we have immunofluorescent uh, monoclonal antibody tests. Cover. What sort of, of tests here we have? <laughs> uh-huh. Silverless. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so show me the seeds. Where are the seeds? Inside the other. Yeah, inside the other. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Okay. What? Look the barrier. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so what is this one? What do you see? What is this thing? This commonly comes to be in. Those of you who sit for the board, this is a very commonly asked question. And I'm sure those of you who rotate with Dr. Hugh, this is the one that he is going to ask you. Because your the exam season, this is the question that he asks practically speaking from everybody. Uh-huh. How Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. you? Uh-huh uh uh-huh.
1: So what is this?
0: Uh-huh. These are the... Look, this is silver stain because it's black. Mm-hmm. And then those are cysts. Silver stain is only good for the cysts. So if you go to the... Uh, three arrows. Okay. Yeah, look, look at it. This is the cysts. And then... These are the cysts, and these are the cysts. No, just show you the cyst. Okay, that shows you. <laughs> to pick up the cyst. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. So now, and this is you can and see. I it that could be from a B, like B A L. No, it could be induced sputum. I can't really, you know, how they get the sample. I don't know, but it's the silver staining of the of the <coughs> sample. Okay? This immunoclonal antibody, so those lights that you see is going to be the pozite and cis. <coughs> so let me ask maybe this time from Lily because <laughs> okay. if you look at the immunofluorescent study, what show me where is the parasite or where is the fungus, I'm sorry, not parasite, fungus. Okay, this is immunofluorescent study. So this is monoclonal immuno... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you see, at the center you see radio density, darks. This is the nest. And then the wall, in a matter of fact, is the antigen of the fungus. So it's both trophozoide as well as the cyst, because monoclonal antibody is going to be a specific for some epitopes of the fungus. In the fungus law. So it's both in the CIS as well as the Trophoside. And the so next to that... If you have multiple infections, uh-huh. each infection of the same species is a new infection, yeah. that means that within the species there are multiple different antigens. It's yeah. re there's this that's true for all of the germs all of the germs no germ is, has the same identity like another germ even in the same species we can, all of them get genetically they have some heterogeneity the way that you and me are genetically different Jose and his father are genetically different so within the same species there is Identification. So we all are human, but Rashid is Rashi, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then the the slide to the right is uh, Audrey time. Audrey. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. uh, great, great yeah those dots are yes and then inside okay if you want to see the cyst then what you would do great so I did a wonderful job tonight okay <laughs> <laughs> okay then open-line biopsy is safe and only you do when you are not sure what's going on if you are sure that this is the enormous associates go for the BAL. if you are not sure then go for the open non-biopsy because you are looking for something else. You are looking for Kaposi, you are looking for the uh, the mycobacterium TB. So non-biopsy is great when you are not certain about the pathogen. And then PCR is very great, is much better than any other test but is not available in most of the centers. So, uh, this slide shows you what you should do basically when you suspect the and on the top so you are suspecting pneumocystosis. Then you evaluate the risk factor for PCP. For instance, the CD4 cell, pregnancy, all of those things, corticosteroid. And then you go by induced sputum. If you see the PCP, you treat. You don't see the PCP, then you go for the, uh, basically, the BAL. And if you don't see by the BAL, then obviously you have to go to the lung biopsy because this is something if BAL is negative, are you practically speaking excluding adenocarcinosis? For what? For PCP? Yeah. BAL is both a standard for the PCP. So if it's negative, then you have to search for another pathogen and then the open lung biopsy will become the procedure of choice. And this is. Uh, a C, Okay. <laughs> so what is C means? C is assist. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, nice. Isn't isn't, it, isn't the open long barstool gold standard essentially then? I mean, if you're going from VAL to open long, if VAL negative, if VAL negative is not going to be the, the most sisters. <laughs> What, you, exactly, because now you're searching for another pathogen. So should, yes? What? Open 100%, what no, I, no, no. Open non yeah. biopsy is also for the most, so it's 100% of the you know. But you know, it's less invasive and it's 100% sensitive. You know? What was the... That's it. No, no. Tell me. yeah, no, the yeah But long biopsy also will show you pneumocystosis. Sensitivity is 100%. But if your hypothesis is pneumocystosis, you are not going to go for long biopsy. You go for the BAL. But assume the BAL is negative. The question is, does open long biopsy <coughs> is going to show you pneumocystosis? No. It's going to show you something else. But BL is not going to show you that something else. Mm-hmm. But non-biopsy would show you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes? Mm-hmm. 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 I'm sorry? Infrequently, mm-hmm. 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 yes. Yeah. There's only one person who's doing that. And I remember last time I requested him to do it, I think he told me that the waiting list is 15 days. I said, okay, by that time, the patient is you know, <laughs> all. It's 15 days after waiting. Yeah. So the experimental equation on the quote remarks. So, clues to differential diagnosis of the HIV related. <clears throat> okay, so CD4 cell is any, and then we can see a process is going to be, you know, estroph uh, pneumonia, hemophilus pneumonia, mycoplasma, Legionella, Chlamydia, influenza, TB, lymphoma, kaposis sarcoma. Less than 200, then you have the. Uh, PCP, histo, and crypto, and less than 100, then you can see a staph, CMB, Nocardia, Aspergillus, and then Pseudomonas and Toxoplasma. So this is the sort of the really etiological uh, diseases based on the CD4 cell count. This is the, uh, the again, uh, when it's, it's based on, the, on different parameters. If this is rapidly progressive disease, and the duration is more than three days, think of the PCP and TB, and less than three days is going to be bacteria. You can see it's not going to be 10 days. You know, it's, it's, it's very you know, just based on three days more or less than three days. And then if the temperature, the patient is a febrile, then think of the neoplasia. If the sputum is turbulent, it's bacteria. If it's very scant, it's going to be PCP, TB, or virus. And the chest X-ray pattern is is going to be very helpful. Look at the pattern of the chest X-ray. CD4 cell more than 100, and you have pulmonary nodule or nodular infiltrate. So now this is based on the pattern of the chest X-ray. So this is nodules or the nodular infiltrate. <coughs> then, if the CD4 cell is more than 100 then it's going to be TB, Kaposi, Lymphoma, Crypto, Histone, and Coxy. This is the nodules in the lung. If this is the CD for less than 100, then it's going to be TB, PCP, Crypto, CMB, Toxo, Kaposi, Lymphoma, and Neocardia. This is based on the Western literature, not in this part of the world. <coughs> If you're looking for cavitation in the lung of the patient with HIV, if the CD4 cell is more than 100, look for TB. So this is cavitation. And if the CD4 cell is less than 100, still TB would be number one. But then you can see there are more of the pathogens here, including pneumocystosis, so cavitation, you see even Necrosis, but neocardia, caposis, sarcoma, lipoma, yeah. histo. All of those may give you cavitation in the lung. What's the, what the percentage there? Like <coughs> Going go back a little
1: bit, like what's the percentage? About? Because like this is based on one no, study. No, I know, but is it like like
0: it's a
1: caposis,
0: 78 percent? Does yes. that mean that all the patients who have this 78 percent of had caposis? Yes. It does. This is looking at. So the, but they had multiple. No, I mean, that's very common. That's very common. Like, yeah, pass, like, everything. I knew that most... There are many of these. Yeah. Back? Uh-huh. Uh, oh, never mind. Four forward. Okay. Forward? Uh-huh. So, like... So, because those don't add up to a hundred, so it's yeah. like, so it's like some like, seven, like, they took everybody who had a CD4 less than a hundred. Yes, I can look at that. And, and, I can and then look at that, and then look at not sure. And yes. 78% of them had KS. Yes. And 40% of them had lymphoma. Yes. So there was like overlap. Yes, but because all it, of I I will show you one study that <coughs> when particularly is based on autopsy, yeah, they found more than three pathogens in the lung tissue. Yeah. So you know that. you know This is yeah. not really unusual. In the, in but I don't the think it's like lymphoma. It yes. The but these system. are all on the most of these studies based on the autopsies. So, then then diffuse interstitial infiltrate, PCP-TB, histo you can read the list for yourself, abocavir hypersensitivity syndrome, and lymphocytic interstitial pneumonia. All of them would give you diffuse interstitial infiltrate. If you have hyalur adenopathy, then think of the fungi or tuberculosis. You can see lipoma, histo, coxidium, match and TB. They would give you hilar adenopathy. And this is the plural effusion. Then TB, hyogenic bacteria, Kaposi, lipoma, it would be extremely rare to have CMB or trypto or PCP uh, to give you plural effusion. A normal chest X-ray? Number one is going to be pneumocystosis, then T B and then Trip. These are the big Okay. So only a couple of questions before I close the, the session. Uh, when do you use a steroid in people with pneumocystosis? <coughs> okay? The arterial oxygenation oxygen is less than 70 millimeter of mercury or a, a gradient of the 35 or more so alveolar arterial oxygen I, I said arterial a the, the alveolar arterial oxygen gradient difference of more than 35 these are the indications mm-hmm. for the co plus cell, okay? Is it just after the O2 cell? Yeah. Are Oh, no, oh no, this is not based on the po 2 It's basically you have to get everything. Over here you call it. Unfortunately. I do not think there is any literature on the O2 cell. But if a patient is very looking very bad cyanotic, I think, you don't hear the classification of the plus cell. But we don't have ABG and I do not think there is anything in literature about the oxygen saturation because you know it's a very cool indicator of BPO2 Because of many things. Color of the names, you know, there's so many things. Basal constriction, all of those things have significant impact on P on the oxygen saturation. Is it do Machine no. Is, no. But they machine that they don't have. Okay, and then how long after treatment of the pneumocystosis you put the patient on corticosteroids? Immediately. After 48 hours is useless. So at the same time you put a patient on, on vaccine, you put a patient on corticosteroids. <coughs> okay, and how many percent of the people die from pneumocystosis in the United States? Actually, you're right. If you're talking about AIDS population. okay. Yeah. It uh, probably is about close to 20% if you look at over But obviously, when they get to intensive caregiving, it's going to be more. But over all is about 10 to 20% based on many of the, of the studies. Mortality of the second relapse is not more than the mortality from the first episode. Of the and, and what is the medication of choice? Yeah. Vaccine. The second? <coughs> okay, after yeah. Bacteria, yeah. I assume the question. I'm sorry? Yeah. Uh, not anymore, not really. The best second choice is chandamycin and trimethoprim. anti medication. Prednisone and That's the medication of choice. After that, uh, well, after after having KCP, then you have to go for secondary prophylaxis. Regardless of the question. doesn't matter. And yeah. you didn't say you said that you don't serve, doesn't really have to. You don't start until because, and she said cost. Uh, hypersensitivity. Okay, That's like a major... Will have this yes. major of yes, because you remember that if you know, only 10% of the people, they come down with PCP, yeah. with a CD4 cell of more than 200, then imagine not, how many people, yeah, how many of those people, how many people they need to be treated with bacterium. A mass population of people need to be treated with bacterium. So the chance of the adverse drug reaction would be much higher. So do you see a lot of that here? Did like do that? I assume that based on one study, I think it was in Zambia, and they showed that mortality in a group of the people with HIV who are taking <coughs> the is less than a group of the people who are not taking the vaccine. I reviewed that paper. It is in Lancet. It's a very iffy very paper done methodologically very badly, and based on that, everybody in, in Uganda now is on factoring. But. Yes. Yes. Now, yeah. They okay. But this is their policy now here. Okay. So if somebody has allergy to vaccine, then what you would do? Desensitize. It makes sense. Desensitization of vaccine doesn't make sense. Just gonna, not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna it's nothing really as effective as ketogenic fasting, well, obviously. But you have choice. You can go for ketogenic fasting. Ketogenic is notorious nutrition, it's bad nutrition. And how many percent of the people here they have glucose six phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency? Okay. Really? Ketogenic is not going <coughs> to <true. It's coughs> do massive emolysis. In glucose risk, six or three dehydrogenase patients. Pregnant woman, you can't give it in clima going to pregnant woman. For instance. And clindamycin is a very expensive medication. And you have to give it IV and has a lot of side effects. So vaccine stays as medication of choice. But desensitization makes sense for the cancer. Have you ever thought, who should go through desensitization? What type of allergy you would desensitize? Type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4? What type you go ahead for desensitization? The <coughs> one <coughs> Huh? What is type 1? One that IGE. IGE <coughs> mediated. IgE mediated, when you have the mast cells ready to discharge all of those granules if somebody has type 1 hypersensitivity what are the clinical manifestations of type 1 hypersensitivity? I'm sorry? yeah, what is that? short? <clears throat> <Sure>. what else? <laughs> yes, bronchospasm laryngeal spasm angioedema urticaria Have you ever seen bacteria giving you any of those? What what is the usual hypersensitivity? Is rash? Is fever? Is hepatitis? Is bone marrow? Is nephritis? It doesn't make sense to desensitize. But if we were desensitized, as somebody in San Francisco said, you don't know what I do? I won't desensitize. I just re-expose the patient to the same amount of the bacteria. Nothing happens nothing happens but nobody is there to do not desensitize because if something happens the people will say, well, you didn't desensitize a standard of the cure is desensitization but it doesn't make sense why? if this is not IgE mediated why should it IgE sensitive? This is not there is no muscle involvement what we desensitize. How we should desensitize? You get the pediatric formulation of the co oxazole, is the syrup, and then you start to leave really very, very small dose, you know, and then start every 30 minutes, one hour, just double dose, and then in 10, 12 hours, and you would desensitize the patient and you start the patient on full dose of the bactamine. You know in San Francisco said, you know I would, you know I just kill a patient you no know, vaccine would work. Mm-hmm. So desensitization also works. So mm-hmm. I think nobody knows the pathophysiology behind the bacteria and hypersensitivity in, in HIV positive patients, but is not IGE mediator. So based on basic science, the desensitization shouldn't work. Okay. And then you do give pentamidine, or you don't give pentamidine? Mm. Yeah, you can, but pentamidine is very toxic medication. And what is the major side effects of pentamidine? Pentamidine is the puncture tetanus. severe form of the puncture tetanus is from the pentamidine.